Well, let's start our study with a pop quiz. It's fill in the blank, and I have to warn you, these are the toughest kind. Okay, not multiple choice, fill in the blank, only one right answer. But the first thing that comes to your mind when I give you the first part, you fill in the rest. You ready? Zacchaeus climbed. I'll try to move slower, okay? This next one. Adam and... Oh, that's much better. Noah and... Daniel and... Ahithophel and? I'm oh, just kidding. I, I, I don't know who he is either. <laughs> Jonah and the whale. Well, part of our problem with these great, great accounts in the Bible is that we only study the surface and uh, usually are attracted to the sensational. There's a lot more, as you know, to Noah than an ark. There's a lot more to Zacchaeus than climbing a tree. There's a lot more to Daniel than... The lions, and there's a lot more to Jonah than a whale. But the truth is, when we think of Jonah, that's the first thing that comes to our mind. It's Jonah and the whale. It's a fish story. It's much more than a fish story. One author put it this way in less than 50 verses of Scripture. You have a storm at sea, the conversion of idolatrous sailors, a miraculous rescue, a song of praise the repentance of a brutal nation, you have the unique revelation of God's relationship to unbelieving Gentiles, a disobedient Jew, all sorts of non-human creation, the wind, a fish, a vine, a worm, and cattle. In many ways, Jonah is a microcosm of God's relationship and sovereignty over all creation and all kingdoms and all history. We don't think about Jonah and the greatest national revival ever recorded, do we? And it followed the shortest sermon ever preached. We don't think of Jonah and the mercy of God. We don't think of the fact that Jonah would be the first missionary in human history sent by God to a Gentile nation. In fact, we never think about the fact that He is the only prophet on record ever commissioned by God to go to a heathen nation with the message of repentance. Uh, Worse yet, we we rarely think of Jonah as the signature sign, uh, the illustration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which will take probably one entire session to study. Uh, The book of Jonah is much more than than a fish story. Little wonder then that Satan... And those belonging to him and his kingdom have attempted throughout history to to, uh, make the book of Jonah the butt of many jokes and and derision, sneers. The average uh, liberal professor and and pastor, along with so many so-called Bible scholars, even though they really don't care about the Bible, have attempted for centuries to downplay and uh, discredit, to, to deride if not to destroy the authenticity uh, and credibility of the book of, of Jonah. And since many of us have sat in classrooms, and maybe some of you are sitting in classrooms now with professors that would delight in sneering at this inspired uh, story, let me very quickly, as an overview, lay out their objections and answer them just as quickly. There are five of them. First, they object to the abundance of miracles. Frankly, we would expect them to. 
They don't believe God sent a fish to swallow Jonah. But then they don't believe God created fish to begin with. So why would we expect them to believe God would command a great fish to do anything? They don't believe God created the plants and the animals of Genesis 1. Why would we expect them to believe Jonah 1? And my friends, you will never convince an unbeliever of God's power and his miraculous ability until they have placed their faith in the power of God's Son. But until then, the natural man, the unrelated to Christ's spirit man, is unable to embrace, receive, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually examined. You must examine them by virtue and with the help of the indwelling Spirit of God. So we would expect that objection. Secondly, they consider Jonah a fairy tale because of the unique mission of Jonah. Uh, The liberal scholar will point out the fact that God never commissioned a Jewish prophet to go to a Gentile nation. So this must be a story to make the Jewish people feel good. Well, just because God uh, hadn't sent a prophet doesn't mean he wouldn't or he couldn't. In fact, that's one of the things that makes it so Remarkable. The truth is, both Elijah and Elisha made contact with pagan kings under the direction of God. So, for Jonah to be a special envoy sent by God to a pagan nation is simply the grace of God and not difficult to imagine. Number three, the liberals object because Jonah refers to Nineveh in the past tense. In chapter 3, where Jonah writes, Now Nineveh was a very great city. It's obvious he didn't live around then. He lived sometime distant if he wrote it at all. And he refers to the city as a city in the past tense. Well, the use of was is perfectly acceptable in narrative writing, which most of the book of Jonah happens to be in. Narrative. Number four. A fourth objection is that Jonah was, was never there to begin with. And that's proven by the fact that he writes that it took three days to walk through it when everyone knows that the city was small enough to travel through it in one day. Okay, what about outlying areas? What about the suburbs of this great empire that so overpowered the northern kingdom of Israel? In fact, we know that its population was larger than the city of Kerry today. More than 100,000 people. And if you tried to deliver a message to a city of coming doom of more than 100,000 people, if, like Cary, you traveled from one end of Cary on foot to the other end of Cary, it would take you at least two or three days, maybe weeks. In fact, we're already beginning to complain that you can't drive from one end of Cary to the other without it taking uh, uh, an unimaginable 10 minutes. The unbelieving world is grasping at straws. The final objection is that Jonah uses some words that seem incompatible with Jonah's vocabulary. Aren't you glad these scholars knew so well Jonah's vocabulary? Well, the truth is the words in question, if you took the time to study, and this is all the time I even want to take on the objections, those words appear in Old Testament books both before Jonah's time and afterward. Jonah is simply troubling to the unbeliever because of what it reveals of God and what it reveals of the gospel. Jonah is not make-believe. He was a real man. He was living in a real time, and he had a real challenge on his hands. 
In fact, uh, we do know that Jonah has already been around for quite a while. He was the court prophet for Jeroboam II, and he prophesied faithfully in that northern section known as Israel, the northern kingdom after the division. And he prophesied 750 years before the birth of Christ. Jonah had already delivered a rather famous prophecy, uh, which had been fulfilled as the northern kingdom of Israel regained some of its lost territory that they thought was lost forever. And Jonah prophesied they'd get it back, and they got it back, which added only more uh, credibility to Jonah's ministry. In fact, you might want to write into the margin of Jonah 1.1, and we will get there, trust me, eventually. Uh, Write in this text, 2 Kings 14. And you can go and read it sometime. Let me quickly read for the sake of time what that text says in verse 25, 2 Kings 14, 25. God restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now that, that one verse collaborates the time and place of Jonah's ministry. In fact, 2 Kings will also mention Jonah's hometown, which would later become known as Galilee. Imagine that. Uh, The prophet whose biography will provide an illustration of Christ's resurrection was prophesying in the same neighborhood where Jesus Christ will one day walk and teach and preach. The one who experienced a, a rather amazing A miracle of being swallowed by a fish will be followed up by the great prophet who will command the fish into the nets of his disciples and will create fish at a campfire and feed it to Peter and others. Wonderful testimony of of the Old Testament corroborating the ministry of this little book called Jonah. We, we know that Jonah prophesied during the ministries of Hosea and uh, Amos. It's very likely that Jonah had been trained by his predecessor, a man by the name of Elisha. J. Sidlow Baxter wrote, Jonah would have been a leading prophet among the schools of the prophets when Elisha neared the end of his remarkable ministry. It's interesting to consider the fact that Jonah and Elisha probably knew one another Well, Jonah was one of the revered prophets of the Jewish people. In fact, centuries after Jonah's life, the father of Peter and Andrew, who had become apostles, disciples of Christ, the father of Peter was named after Jonah. More than likely after the famous prophet is his namesake. You remember that Peter was known originally as Simon Bar Jonah. Bar simply means son of. Simon was the son of a man named perhaps after in honor of this famous prophet of Israel named Jonah. So as far as the average person of of this day, Jonah was, um, was a prophet who had helped Israel succeed. He had preached the greatest evangelistic campaign in Israel's history. He saw the pagan kingdom of Nineveh come to faith in God, and and he came for his crusade on a private cruise ship, didn't he? Specially made by God. Josephus, the Jewish historian, 
wrote in the first century these words as he incorporated Jonah into his antiquities. He wrote, and I quote him, But since I have promised to give an exact account of our history, I have thought it necessary to recount what I have found written in the Hebrew books concerning this prophet Jonah. 150 years after the death of King Solomon, Jonah is preaching in Israel. This is not fantasy or fiction. Jonah is for real. So let me invite you to turn to these 48 verses of Scripture and take a closer look with me at the life and times of of the prophet Jonah. Now, for some of you, your translation will accurately begin with a little word, and, or, now. It's not in my translation, so for a moment I have to preach on a word before we get to the book of, of Jonah. Now, or, and. It's the little Hebrew word, it's the little vav uh, that is often uh, translated, and. And it reveals the interesting point that verse 1 of Jonah followed the previous verse of something else. We're not told what or where or by whom. Uh, Warren Wearsby made the interesting note that if one of his books began with the word and, his editor would probably wonder if something had been lost, including his ability to use the English language. You don't start with and, unless it follows something closely God chose in his wisdom not to let us know what that was. There are several books of the Old Testament, by the way, that begin with the word and. And this one does as well. In fact, Warren Wearsby provoked my thinking as he went on to write that by opening with the word and, the book of Jonah subtly hints to us that God's story of grace and mercy is a story of continuation. Note further in verse 1, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, whenever you read, And the word of the Lord came to, this is a formulaic phrase that, that marks the true prophet of God. The true prophets of God had the word of God coming to them. There were false prophets who claimed to speak the word of God. They claimed to have the word of God, but they only took God's name in vain when they said they had. They hadn't. They spoke their own dreams and their own, uh, uh, their own make-believe stories. To have the word of the Lord come to you would have either been a mark of authentication as a true prophet of God, or it would be someone other than a prophet that would be asked to participate in some special mission of the Lord. So the word of the Lord comes to you because you're going to have a special mission from God or to authenticate that you are a true prophet of God. And for Jonah, then, it was the authentic mark. It it was the fingerprint of true prophetic uh, ministry. But know this, when the word of the Lord comes to someone, it means something is about to happen, doesn't it? Someone is about to slip into action. Something is going to happen to somebody. And would you notice, though, in the text that nothing is really said about Jonah? Nothing is said about his birthplace. Not much of an introduction at all. Nothing about his previous ministry. We're not even told how the word of the Lord came to him. Was it a dream? Was it a vision? Was it an angel? We're not, we're not told. It evidently 
doesn't matter, but perhaps you've already discovered that everything that happens in this little book seems to happen in fast motion, doesn't it? Everything is quickly. It even starts with and. It just it starts in fast motion and just continues to move forward. Everything that can be left out is left out. Nothing clutters the hallways of this story. Now notice further. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Who's he? Well, we don't know. I, I told you it probably wasn't important. And so we just skim on by it. But I do want to stop here long enough to point out some rather interesting meanings of both of these men's names, which actually illustrate the coming drama that I don't believe is a coincidence at all. Jonah is the Hebrew word for dove. Often children of believing Hebrew parents were named after animals, hoping their children would grow up to exhibit everything good about its best characteristics. They probably did act like little animals early on, but hopefully later on it would change. The dove was known for gentleness, harmlessness, flight, and most significantly, peace. Ever since Genesis chapter 8, verse 11, when the dove flew back to, to Noah with an olive branch or leaf in its mouth, the dove became a symbol of hope and peace. In fact, to this day, around the world, it is the symbol of peace. And we use the phrase, even to this day, of extending to someone the olive branch as a symbol of extending peace to someone. Whenever you see, by the way, the dove on flags or emblems or political insignia, more than likely the dove will be in flight. It's in flight, signifying its role as a messenger. So here you have a man whose name was the symbol of peace, sent as a messenger to extend the olive branch to a nation in deep trouble with God. Jonah the dove is about to be commissioned by the emperor of heaven to serve as the ambassador of peace. Now, you notice the verse also told us he was the son of Amittai. Amittai comes from the same Hebrew root word which gives us the word amen. Amen. It's the confirmation of, of truth. This is much more than coincidence. Here you have the messenger of peace who's going to tell the truth. And would you note, at the outset, Jonah didn't go to the Ninevites and talk to them about peace. He went and told them the truth. And they believed the truth and discovered peace. How unlike the messengers of God, supposed messengers of God today, who run around talking about peace, but leave out the truth, and people do not find then peace with God. He goes as the messenger of peace to tell them the truth. You've got 40 days And if you don't repent, you're dead. He will literally live out his name. But he really doesn't want to, does he? And that's what we remember. Let's not be too hard, though, on this dove before we know all the facts. We'll discover in our next session what it meant to go to the Ninevites, a people renowned for their brutality 
But just one quick fact, they were known to dismember their enemies one limb at a time, leaving the right arm and hand alone so they could shake their enemy's hand and smile at them while they watched them die. And you would notice, as we will more carefully, that Jonah is given no assurance, not only that they will listen to him, but that he will survive. There's no word that says, oh, and you'll live, too. I'm not so sure I wouldn't have bought a ticket out of town as well on on the nearest boat, heading in the most opposite direction. He must follow God without any guarantee and without any assurance that he'll live. So it's fairly easy to outline what happens in this brief biography. I'm not sure I'm going to outline my sermons by these titles, but it's fairly obvious and easy. Five points. Point number one is see Jonah run. Point number two, see Jonah swim. Point number three, see Jonah fly. Point number four, see Jonah preach. Point number five, see Jonah pout. Or if you want to be a little more educated, you could outline it like one of my commentary friends who actually, very interestingly, paralleled Jonah's ministry with the story of the prodigal son. And it so provoked my thinking that I decided to call this series The Prodigal Prophet. It's interesting that in the first two chapters of Jonah, he plays the role of the prodigal son who runs away from his father. He carries the inheritance of his father's riches, but he keeps it to himself to spend it on himself alone. In the last two chapters of Jonah, he plays the role of the prodigal's older brother who refuses to enter into the homecoming of his rebellious brother and goes off and pouts. So he is indeed, interestingly enough, the prodigal prophet. Well, that's the introduction. Let me, before we tie it up for today, let's talk about some key lessons quickly that are sort of lying out in the open. In fact, they're circulating around in your minds, and I want to at least get them down in, in, in ink. Some, some lessons learned from this man at the very outset. First, be alert. God has delivered his word to us as well. Have you ever thought about the fact that the word of the Lord has come to you too? It has. You're holding it in your lap. You say, oh no, I'm I'm not Jonah. I'm not a prophet. I'm I'm not either. I'm not the son of a prophet. In fact, as one man said, I even work for nonprofit organizations. (laughs) But the truth is, God has spoken. He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, but he has spoken unto us in these last days through and by his son. We hold in our laps, I hold in my hand, the words of the prophets of old and the words of Christ and the words of Christ in and through his apostles. Be alert, God has spoken. The word of the Lord has come to us as well. And he has given us all that we need. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all that we need to be equipped 
for every good work. Be alert to what God has spoken to you through his word. It will equip you for life. Secondly, be encouraged. God can use anyone and anything to accomplish his will. We're going to watch God use pagan sailors, a storm at sea, a plant. He'll even use a worm. That's encouraging to me, isn't it to you? He he will use a stubborn prophet too. This is the grace of God about to be revealed in living color in and through the life of this prophet. So be encouraged. Thirdly, be careful. Be careful. Past obedience does not guarantee future obedience. I agree with, as I have studied, read books just to prepare for this study in this particular Old Testament book, I agree with those that believe that Jonah was more than likely an old man when this occurred. His greatest test was reserved for his later years. Much like Daniel, who many believe was around 85 to 90 years of age when he was thrown to the lions. So Jonah has served God for many years, faithful as a prophet. He's rubbed shoulders with Elisha. He's more than likely taught a course or two in the schools of the prophets. Nobody would have been surprised to learn Jonah was the one who received the the word of God. Jonah was the one who was given this incredibly dangerous assignment, difficult commission from God. Jonah was the man. Nobody would have doubted that. He had years of faithful ministry. Past obedience doesn't guarantee future obedience. Frankly, I think think Jonah would have been somewhat embarrassed to know that 3,000 years later, here we are embarking on a close scrutiny of his actions and his emotions, his pride, his failure, his fear. Wouldn't you be? I think he'd, he'd be embarrassed to know that we're about to pour over every word. We're going to dig under every stump. We're going to explore every corner and crevice of this man's life. Think about it. He had, he had years of faithful service as a prophet of God, and we have one verse in Second Kings. But he has a few months of failure, and we've got an entire book on that. But I'm reminded of God's purpose. One of them, in giving us the Old Testament record, Paul said, these accounts were given to you as an example, 1 Corinthians 10, 6. In other words, they're going to teach you what not to do, and they will also teach you what to do, and most often we learn by those who fail. So God gives us the whole story. Frankly, I've got to tell you this too at the outset. I'm grateful that God didn't give us a book on Jonah's successes and one verse on his failure. I'm glad he turned it around and gave us a detailed description of why and how he failed and what God had to communicate to and through him as a result. So in other words, here's a, here's a book for saints like you and me who get it wrong. But here's also a, a book to warn and amaze and thrill and challenge us to get it right. 
his testimony is even more profound to us, isn't it? Years of faithful service in the past do not guarantee faithful service in the future. None of us, none of us have reached the tape yet. So be alert. Be encouraged. And be careful. Father, thank you for this prophet whose life is given to us. At least this chapter has been given to us. I thank you for these brothers and sisters who've come to engage in a little more study of your word and some more fellowship with others who share the faith of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We together, Father, thank you that you use faltering prophets. You don't discard sinful saints. Your grace abounds over and above the abounding of even sin. But would you, would you caution us today? Would you help us not to be confident in ourselves, but confident only in you? Would, would this week, Father, in all of our lives be marked by our gratitude for, for a God who is a God of second and third and fourth and a million chances to serve you well? Would you remind us that you're sovereign over people, nations, kingdoms, and individuals? Your creation moves at your beck and call. Would we be a little more like a fish and a plant and a worm to obey you quickly and fully? Be glorified. In and through our lives, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.